The Bible Study Podcast, episode 663. Today is going to be a little different episode of the Bible Study Podcast. We're going to take a little break from the story of Abraham and the patriarchs and Genesis to give you a sermon that I preached this Sunday at Bethel Lutheran Church in Cupertino. And when I say at, I mean for because this was done as a video for our online service because of the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. So if you want to watch that video, there are some slides for this particular sermon, and they will be available in video form at thebiblestudypodcast.com on this episode, episode 663. The lessons that I used will be linked from that post and also will be in the lyrics of this episode, as we always put the Bible verses in the lyrics. And I'm preaching predominantly on the Great Commission, which goes like this. From Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The other thing I will say for those of you who are listening to this particular episode in real time is that my country, the U.S., has been having quite a lot of problems this week with protests because of the death of George Floyd in police custody in Minneapolis. This particular sermon will not address that because it was recorded two weeks before that, but I think it will address that in terms of how the church needs to live as we talk about the Great Commission and talk about loving everybody always. And here's the sermon. Greetings. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris Christensen. I preach here occasionally, and today I'm going to use the gospel lesson that we heard this morning and talk about the Great Commission. If I had a subtitle for this sermon, it would be, What Does It Mean to Go When You Can't Leave Your House? Now, this is an odd time, and I'm actually recording this a little bit in the past from you. We had to assemble this and get this ready for this week's sermon, so I may not even know how odd it is in your time when you're hearing this if there have been locusts, which wouldn't surprise me. If people have started to turn into zombies, I don't know about that. But even where I sit, this is an odd time. Some things are very similar, and some things are very different. This is a strange way for me to preach at Bethel because I'm used to getting up in the morning and saying good morning, which of course I don't know that you're listening to in the morning, and I'm recording in the afternoon, so that didn't make any sense. And I'm also used to having you pray with me that the words of my mouth may be beneficial, that God would speak through what I say, but it seems weird to have you pray for something that happened a week or two ago from your time. So, we're going to jump in, and we're going to talk about the Great Commission. And I want to talk first about all the lessons that were read this morning and tie them in a little bit. Because for those of you who don't know, we use the lectionary, and that's a bunch of churches, Christian churches, have agreed on certain lessons to go together for given Sundays. And I tend to preach from the ones that have been appointed for this particular Sunday. 
And there's always an Old Testament lesson, a New Testament lesson, a gospel lesson, and also a psalm that we very seldom use. And it seems sometimes very clear how some of them go together, and other times it's less clear. So I want to talk this time, we, we're going to focus in on the Great Commission, this commission to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. But the first lesson we had today, the Old Testament lesson, was the lesson of creation, Genesis 1, that story of creation, the first of two stories at the beginning of Genesis. Genesis 1 that talks about the creation of everything, including the creation of people, where God says, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the wild animals and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So what does that have to do with go therefore unto all nations? And I think the thing that we're missing is we didn't read this morning the psalm because we very seldom do. But on this occasion, I do want to mention what the psalmist said. We Our psalm appointed for today is Psalm 8 where the psalmist thinks about people and says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in their courses, what is man that you should be mindful of him, the son of man that you should seek him out? You have made him but little lower than the angels. You adorn him with glory and honor. You give him mastery over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet. As the psalmist thinks about this relationship between God and the creator, and us, the creation, he is amazed. And he's not just amazed at what God created, but what God has done, this way that God looks upon us, which is fascinating, this way that God looks upon us with favor, this way that God made us in his image. And we have to understand before we go into the Great Commission, let's think with the mind of God. When God looks at us, he sees us differently than we see ourselves, and he sees us differently than we see others, for sure. And God sees in us the image of himself that he created us in. He sees in us a relationship that was broken in the garden by sin and has been working ever since to restore that. And so the Great Commission that we're talking about this morning is really part of that larger story of God wanting to bring people back to him to restore that relationship we had in the garden. But it seems to me odd, and I think this is one of the things that we have, one of the problems that we may have with the Great Commission is that it happens sort of at the end of the book of Matthew, as if Jesus was saying, oh, one more thing. By the way, before I leave, you should know that I'm sending you on a mission. I'm commissioning you to go and preach the gospel to all the world, to the ends of the world. And we treat it as if it was a standalone thing he said, or maybe 
maybe we lump it in with the lesson we had two Sundays ago on Ascension Sunday, where the last thing Jesus says was, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So maybe maybe it's those two things, and we see those as being related, but we don't see the other things that Jesus said over the course of his two to three years of public ministry as part of the same thing. But I think they are. I think when Jesus was talking about loving your neighbor, it was related to the Great Commission. When Jesus was talking about love your enemies, it was related to the Great Commission. When Jesus is talking about, I was in prison and you visited me, I was sick and you came to visit me, I was hungry and you fed me, it's not unrelated to these verses that talk about the calling that God has left us with, the calling that Jesus gave in the Great Commission or in those final words there at the time of the Ascension to go. Now, one of the things that irks me (laughs) about the language that we use in the church, I'll have to say, is that we sometimes talk about my role in the church uh, especially those of us who are, who are laity, who are not, didn't go to seminary, those of us who didn't become ordained. We talk about us, and the word that we sometimes use is a congregant. It's a weird word. But we talk about the whole church quite often as the congregation, as if our role was to get together, as if that was the whole thing that we're all about is we get together. It's kind of like a club. We get together. We congregate. Now, that's particularly weird for us to understand if we have that mindset of the church in this time when we can't get together. But I'd like to give your brain just a little nudge that this may be the wrong way to think of ourselves. Jesus didn't leave us and say you are called to get together. You're called to be congregants. You're called to be a congregation. He said your go people, your people who are sent, your people who I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You're that kind of people. Whether you can get together, as we like to do, as I like to do, or we can't, we're still go people. We're still people who are sent. In fact, the apostles so believed that, that that's the word we use for them. We use the word apostles, apostolos, to be sent. They understood that they were go people. They were people who were sent by God. So I think that's one of the things we need to understand from the Great Commission is that it is about who God wants us to be. And it is a bigger thing than just getting involved in evangelism. We sometimes think that those people who live up to the Great Commission are the people who are missionaries, and they do, or the people who are street evangelists and stand on the street corners, and maybe they do as well. But we are all called to be go people, people who are sent. And I was challenged recently to think about what it means to be Christians and to think about what it means to be sent. And I read a book recently and a book I would recommend, and it's a book called Everybody 
Always. Book by Bob Goff. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the author. I definitely recommend this as a great book to read when you are at home by yourself because then everybody can't see the tears that are streaming down your face, or at least that was my experience. But the subtitle of this book is Becoming Love in a World Full of Setbacks and Difficult People. And Goff's premise in this book is that all of those verses, the Great Commission, love your neighbors, love your enemies, all of those things are a different way of saying what God wants his people to be, and that he wants his people to be a people who are becoming love, who are becoming love to the people who they interact with, the people who they understand and the people who they don't understand. We talk about enemies, but it might just be the people who are frustrating. How could they possibly think that way? They are so different from us that we might even say we hate them. And one of the stories, one of the many stories that he tells in this book that left a lasting impression on me is he told a story of a man named Kabi. And he introduces the story of Kabi and a boy named Charlie with these words. Kabi was the head of all the witch doctors in his region of northern Uganda. He was my age, had no hair on his head, no stubble on his face, and no smile. It was like all the hate in his life had congregated on his face. It was worn and stern, and his bloodshot eyes had a yellowish hue. Kabi was the most evil person I've ever met. And that is an unusual way for a Christian author to introduce someone. But he substantiates that because he tells me something that I did not know. Now, you may remember that in the Old Testament, when God gives the promised land to the people of Israel, instead of the people who lived in it, the Canaanites, for instance, he has something against those people, and so he tells the people as they come into the land, have nothing to do with them, especially have nothing to do with their religion. And the reason for that is they worship the Baal and the Asherah, God and goddess, and part of that worship involved child sacrifice that was abhorrent to God. And as I read those stories from the Old Testament, I think of it as an Old Testament 3rd, 5th century B.C. sort of thing. And I was wrong. Because in Uganda, in northern Uganda, at the time that Goff is writing, which is in our lifetime, there is that practice again. In the sense that if somebody wants to have something good happen in their life, they want success in business or something like that, they would go to a witch doctor, and among the things that a witch doctor might do is he might sacrifice a child, a child who is not volunteering for this, but a child who is abducted and hauled off into the bush and often killed so that the power of that life might affect that situation. And so when Goff calls Kabi evil, he means that in a very literal sense. And he gets involved 
in the story of Kabi and a boy named Charlie, a boy named Charlie who is taken by Kabi off into the bush. He is hurt by him in a way that I will not talk about on a Sunday morning. You'll have to read the book. But he is hurt, but he is left for dead, but he survives. And this young boy agrees to testify in court against this witch doctor. And this is the first case that has ever been brought against a witch doctor. And Goff becomes involved in the prosecution because he is a lawyer by profession. And the reason that's significant is that no one has ever prosecuted one of these witch doctors because of the fear involved and the power that they have. And so he has to find a victim who lived, this Charlie, and he has to find a judge who is courageous. And they bring him on trial. Charlie testifies and Cobby is sent to jail for the rest of his life. And it would be easy to use this story to get you all up in arms against witch doctors in northern Uganda. But I want to go a different way with it because Goff goes a different way with it. It's easy to get you mad. In fact, I can get you mad right now. I can touch the third rail of politics, and we know that I can get you riled up. I could point out that if you are on the right, people on the left, when they point out that children sometimes are dying in cages at our border in the name of safety, might think that that story is too close to this story. If I can have my life, and it's better because a child dies. And there's some truth in that. Or if you're on the left, I can point out to you that people on the right tell you that when you're willing to terminate a child before birth so that you can have a better life, when it's okay for a child to die so that your life can be better, that that's too close to this story. And there is some truth in that, too. But that's not where we go with this. I think of when I was at Juvenile Hall one time teaching Bible study, which is one of the things that I used to do before the lockdown. I can't go in right now. During one of the Bible studies, one of the young men looked at me and turned to one of the other young men who was attending and said, if you only knew what he had done, you wouldn't want him here in this Bible study. And I quickly turned the conversation to other things because that is not what I'm there to talk about. And that's certainly the biggest reason why I shut that conversation down. But the second biggest reason is he was probably right. That quite possibly, if I knew what this young man what crime he had committed. I'm in a lockdown unit for violent youth offenders, so I knew before he said anything that it was a violent crime. But if I knew who the victim was, if I knew the circumstances, quite often I would want to sit in judgment on him. Quite often I would, he is quite correct, not want him in the Bible study. And so the story of Kabi so far is not so surprising that this man who is evil gets sent to prison for the rest of his life. The surprising part is what happened next. Because as Goff talked about in this book, his understanding of what the calling of the gospel is, is that we're called to love everybody 
always. Even those people on the far side of the political spectrum who we do not understand, even people who, who preach sermons that really make us mad, even a witch doctor like Kabi. They're called to love everybody always, that we are a people becoming love. And so he visits Kabi in prison and learns to know the man and learns the problem of being a witch doctor in northern Uganda. He learns that one of the problems that these witch doctors have is that no one wants to be around them because they are feared and that they don't have a lot of opportunities because quite often they're also illiterate. And so this man who helped send away the first of the cases that convicts a witch doctor for the rest of his life sets up a school to teach literacy to witch doctors. A school that, yes, he will whisper in their ears at the end, if you ever go off and do one of those things that you did, I'm going to take, send you to prison, but is a school that is accepting and welcoming and changing the people in this community, this community of people who he had every reason to hate, this community of people that he cannot understand how they can think that way. And one of his biggest allies in that was Kabi, who became a Christian while in prison because of these visits of this man who helped send him there. The Great Commission, I think, is about that kind of love. That love for people that we would not choose to love as well as that love for people that we have chosen to love. But what do we do when we can't go? What do we do when we're supposed to stay inside? Well, I have some experience with that because the two ministries that I've been involved in, one is the one I can't take part in right now. We can't send any volunteers into the jails, into the juvenile hall, into the main jail, any of those things right now, that's shut down. But the other ministry I'm involved in takes place here, at this desk, with this microphone. Uh, usually I haven't cut my own hair, but basically here, without video, I've been teaching a Bible study, a Bible study podcast uh, for about 14 years. So in addition to this sermon going out to roughly 200 people at Bethel, it will go out over the course of the next couple months to about 5,000 people because I found a way to take my gifts or my love for teaching and turn it into a ministry that still works. Now, some of you have found ways to take your service and still work it in times of lockdown, in times of social distancing. You're sewing masks because you love to sew even that you can't get together with the quilters. You're serving people either because you're a first-line worker or you're a healthcare worker or you're volunteering at the food bank that is short on volunteers right now or giving blood. You're finding ways to use your gifts, your passions, and your love where you are. Even some of you from behind screens through Zoom conversations and telephone calls and those sorts of things. When Jesus talked 
about the Great Commission and said, go to the ends of the earth, and then refined it that a little bit. We're reading these in the opposite order. He tells us the Great Commission, then a couple weeks later, he says those words, those words that we read two weeks ago at the Ascension about go to Jerusalem and to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. When he says those words, he's standing on the Mount of Olives. And I have a picture here, for those of you who are watching the video, that shows the Mount of Olives, and it's taken from Jerusalem. It's right there. Basically, the Mount of Olives looks down on the city of Jerusalem. And so when Jesus says before he leaves, before he ascends, when he adjusts the Great Commission and tells them, first go to Jerusalem, he's saying, first go there. You can literally point to the place. First go there. First go, in our case, to Cupertino. First go to your neighbors, to your neighborhood, to your house, to your loved ones. First go there. But then he says, go to Jerusalem and Judea. And Jerusalem and Judea are a little ways away. They are within walking distance. And so for us, that would be like saying, go to Northern California or go to Central California, go someplace close, go to your people who are there. Your people would be Judea, Samaria is those people. I mean, we think of Samaritans like the good Samaritan, but at the time there were people who were thought to be half-breeds. There were people who were not like us, people who we didn't like and they didn't like us, but they were close by. And then he says, go to the ends of the earth. Now, we have to remember when he said that, their concept, their understanding of what the ends of the earth was, was a little more restrictive than ours even. Their concept was a map that at the edges said, here are monsters. And Jesus called us to be his people, to be people becoming love where we are, out there close by with people we love and people we just don't understand who make us frustrated. And even out there among the monsters, even out there in places we're afraid to go. But we're called to be the people of God and we're called to be people becoming love. And I think that's what the Great Commission is all about. Amen. What happens when a writer and former history teacher goes toe-to-toe with his best friend, a nationally touring stand-up comedian? Total carnage, that's what. Two men enter, and two men leave, because that's how it works. (laughs) Actually, you get hilarious, real, and insightful conversations about life, history, culture, faith, and everything in between. Join me, comedian Johnny W., and my pal, author and speaker John Driver for Talk About That at lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts.